Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and today's guest is Marcus Siebold, co-founder and CEO of Makerverse, a new digital manufacturing platform which aims to be the Amazon of additive manufacturing. Born out of Siemens Energy, arguably one of the biggest industrial adopters of additive manufacturing technology, Makerverse promises a full spectrum of advanced manufacturing processes available on demand for a range of industries and volumes. Siebold talks about why Makerverse was founded, its ambitions to become a one-stop shop for additive, how it fits into the conversation around AM in supply chain, and much more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more additive insight, head on over to tstmagazine.com to get your free print subscription to the mag and to get the biggest 3D printing news stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox every Sunday. I was, um, for the past seven years before founding Makerverse, I was um, VP Additive at Siemens Energy. And in that role, I um, had the pleasure and the privilege to really um, support and, and drive and lead building Siemens Energy's additive strategy over many, many years together with our colleagues around the world. And what happened that Siemens Energy over those past now more than 10 years that the company is focusing on additive. Siemens Energy has gotten, I would say, really, really deep and really, really good on metal powder bed fusion for high temperature applications for gas turbines. So this was mm. a real sweet spot. And when I left uh, early 2022, there's more than 200 people now working on, on additive and the, the company overall has, a, has, has more than 50 metal powder bed fusion printers installed in our global Siemens Energy network. And mm-hmm. that is a clear strength. What we realized at Siemens Energy, however, is that there is the saying when you have a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. And what happened at Siemens Energy, we looked at every potential component like a metal powder fusion, high temperature additive component. And so what what the, the reason why Siemens Energy started to think about Makerverse was that there was a need for a second pillar in the strategy. And the second pillar basically need to fulfill a few requirements. One, it should have, it should give Siemens Energy access to a whole array of different additive manufacturing technologies and materials that the company didn't have in the very deep own footprint, number one. Hmm. Number two, it should do that at industrial grade quality so that Siemens Energy really could take prototypes all the way to, for instance, a certified spare part. And number three, it should support specifically the on-demand nature of non-planable prototypes of unsteady spare parts on demand. And with mm-hmm. those three requirements, one-stop shop, industrial grade quality and on-demand manufacturing, the idea was created to turn this into a digital platform model. And this is how Makerverse was born. Makerverse is intended to be something in order to give it eventually an, an analogy, it's intended to be something like the Amazon for industrial 3D printing. So you have a one-stop digital interface, you have access to all, in quotes, yeah, there's never, I guess, all, but to many, many relevant industrial additive technologies and materials at industrial grade quality. And you have this 
in a very lean and digital front end so that you can support the on-demand nature of prototypes, of toolings, and of spare parts. And um, mm -hmm. Siemens decided that this would be created as an independent company. So Makerverse was a spin-off from Siemens Energy, and it is today an independent company. Siemens Energy is one of the key investors. There is Zeiss, the German industrial quality and metrology leader, who is a mm -hmm. second strategic investor. And then Makerverse has a few financially minded, venture capitally minded investors. So it's a true independent company that has strong industrial investors and financial investors. And the business model is a digital one-stop shop for advanced on-demand additive manufacturing services. And so this is this was born out of, of Siemens and your experience at Siemens. Well, as you say, is a completely um, separate independent entity. But will so will Siemens still be a major customer? Like who who is this who is this platform for? The Siemens Energy team obviously is a customer of Makerverse, but they are a customer like any external customer because from a Makerverse perspective. Siemens Energy is an external company. They are an investor, yes, of course, but they are a minority investor. So there is no, um, I guess, possibility of really integrating Makerverse in a Siemens Energy. It's not designed like this either. So Siemens Energy is one customer, but it is a customer that we treat as any external customer will. And the focus of Makerverse is really on industrials. And the typical industrials come from, of obviously, automotive, Predominantly, I would say, actually, even the tier ones and twos that uh, might have an interest in Makerverse. Then it's the um, industrial equipment and machinery uh, uh, segment, um, spare parts for machines, for big industrial machines. Um, also prototypes to um, shorten the development cycles of industrial um, equipment. That's the so second big uh, target industry. A third one is electronics in terms of um, components. Um, a fourth industry that we currently see, it's not so much an industry, it's more vertical. That's the entire production um, segment in terms of production aids like jigs and fixtures or also toolings. So it's a fourth segment we currently see. And a fifth one we also are identifying now is also um, hardware focused startups so startups that require hardware in order to build their product are looking also more and more to additive manufacturing as a means to shorten development cycles and potentially even to turn additive parts into serial parts and for startups it's also quite interesting to get access to a very broad array of additive technologies at industrial grade quality because they don't need to invest very early on in their own capacity so i would say this is the, the core of, market segments and obviously this is not static this is evolving continuously and there's of course also much more details to every of those um, high-level industry segments i gave you you talked about the capabilities for part of ed fusion which you were of course very familiar with it particularly in in metals and i understand that makerverse aims to offer this full technological service spectrum different types of technologies, which specific technologies and services does that include? This is also an, an always evolving story. If you go on our platform today, you will find on the metal side, metal powder bed fusion. And on the polymer side, you will find 
selective laser sintering, so SLS. You will find HP's multi-jet fusion, and you will also find FDM technology. It's the four key technologies that we currently have live on the platform. And then there's, of course, a different set of materials um, below each of those four technologies. And our operations team is continuously working on expanding the technology portfolio and the materials portfolio. So as we speak, for instance, one of the things that will go um, into the platform next is um, for the predominantly chicks and fixtures and production toolings, we will add now Mark Forged capability over the next weeks. Um, you can also get access to SLA uh, technology at Makerverse, um, and you will this will go on the platform over the over the next weeks and months. And um, we will also broaden our scope step by step. I mean, this is, I guess, important now that currently we are an additive manufacturing platform, but we believe that this needs actually to be integrated with conventional technologies like CNC machining. And so over the next weeks and months, we will also broaden the technology focus on Makerverse beyond additive to also include conventional technologies such as, for instance, CNC. So Makerverse is a true one-stop shop um, for both additive and for both conventional requirements. So this will all come over the next weeks and months. And given it is a service that will provide um, end-use parts, does that also include technologies within that end-to-end -end spectrum, things like the maybe metrology side of things, maybe post-process? And of course, I know that Zeiss is an investor, so will we see those kinds of technologies included as part of that? We, For instance, one of the key things where we believe Makerverse also strives to be um, competitively unique yeah, in terms of a, a unique selling proposition and a unique value that we can add to our customers is the topic of industrial grade quality. Um, as I mentioned earlier, size is one of our strategic investors. And the main reason why size is so important for us is that we believe that size technology basis and that size also know-how that the company has built over all these decades of being an industry leader in metrology and quality assurance gives Makerverse access to industry-leading quality assurance and quality control technologies. And so we will work step-by-step step on integrating size-powered quality assurance and quality control technologies into our platform. And what we recently basically did on our platform we um, released the first five quality assurance items. Yeah, What you can now do with uh, when you are on a platform and you upload your part, you can configure technology material finish, and you can also select, for instance, um, that you want a digital twin in the measurement report based on size GOM technology for dimensional adherence of the physical part to the digital model or the drawing. You can select um, quality assurance reports around surface roughnesses, surface properties of your parts. And if you want to, you can even select a CT um, a scan and report for your parts for internal defects, etc. And we will continuously broaden this. So I guess this topic of quality is something that we really would like to, and we will uh, actually continuously expand as well, but we 
um, believe with the size partnership that we have signed, there's a quite um, strong basis for offering um, leading quality services to our customers. The second question you asked about the post-processing or the finishing of parts, this is also already built into our platform specifically for the polymer technologies like SLS and MJF. There's the standard finishing options available like color dyeing, um, uh, smoothening surfaces or tumbling. That's all available directly on the platform. So you can order SLS and MJF um, printed parts, including finishing that's fully integrated in the platform. And on a metal side, um, we offer also access to CNC finishing of 3D printed parts, even including in a, one of the next releases, we will also offer heat treatment options for certain metals so that you can order not only your 3D printed part, but your finished industrial part. That's the mission and the objective that we want to put in place. So if I was a new customer then coming to the Makerverse platform, how, how does that work? Can you kind of walk me through what it looks like for a typical customer journey? The, the typical customer journey is that, uh, let's assume you are a customer that already has a um, either STL file, a STEP file, or any um, proprietary CAT uh, 3D file. So you have a file with your part that you want to get printed. Step number one, you upload your file on our platform. And during that first upload, we also ask you to recreate your user account so that you can actually um, access all your quotations and orders always under a password protected environment. So we ask you to create a user account. It's a very simple process, actually. You upload your part um, and you select your desired technology and material. That's step number one. Then once the part is uploaded into our platform and backend systems, we analyze and we process the part. And this, in this step number two, there's basically two things that we do. Number one, we give you an instant price of the part. And number two, we run a first design for manufacturing feasibility check for your part. And both of this is based on um, data based on artificial intelligence based algorithms that we've developed. Then in the step number two, you can further change the configurations of your part. You can select different technologies and see the price impacts and the lead time impacts. You can, within the same technology, you can select different materials and select and, and see the price and the lead time impact. What we released um, recently last week, we now offer you also quantity-based pricing. So if you would order one part, price is X. If you order two parts, price is X minus um, what the, whatever the volume discount is. And if you order 10, 20 parts, you see basically a volume-based pricing of the part directly online. This is a new feature we have now in the platform. The other thing that you can do, we call this advanced specifications. And that means that you can either choose that you want to keep the orientation of your part exactly as you specified it in your CAT model. That means because you know that orientation has an impact on your material properties or on your feature definition. So you can tell us, do not change the orientation. That's a new feature we brought. You can also tell us that you have individual requirements above and beyond our standard. Then you can 
share your drawing with us in addition to the CAD file so we know um, what your individual specifications are. And you can select quality assurance um, processes and technologies. That's a step number two. Once you've configured your part along those three elements, technology material, advanced specification and quality, then you basically see your price for whatever your configuration is. And then you can basically go to step number three, which is we need a bit of shipment and invoicing information then. And once you have configured your part, step number two, once you have provided in a first step your shipment and invoice information, then you can actually directly order your part online. You can either pay by invoice or credit card or any other instant payment means. And then step number four, um, the order goes into our operations team. And we have actually a, a quite a strong application engineering focus in our operations team. And we will check then your order for manufacturability again, because we want to make sure that whatever order we accept and start executing, um, we know that we can actually really uh, meet the design intent and the requirements of our customers. So that's the four steps on the platform. And then offline step number five, our operations team will execute the order with our certified supply base. And at the end of the day, customers will be notified when the parts are ready for shipment and we will ship and we will um, uh, also make this transparent as a status change in our platform. Mm -hmm. I think that that's that's really interesting and useful to know that there is such a, an emphasis put on checking for uh, design for manufacturability because I know you mentioned the different types of customers that you'll be getting on the platform from people like huge industrial customers, but also startups that are looking for a way to manufacture those first products. And there will be a complete difference in, in learning curve for those types of customers. So um, it is very important that they're able to understand that a part is going to work for additive manufacturing processes. And this is, I guess, also what, what we want to make also clear, because this is also one of the concerns we are getting from customers that they say, look, um, we do not want to work with a robot digital platform only because there is still engineering level questions that are associated to certain orders. So what we said, we, of course, are investing and will continue to invest in digital tools and processes because we still believe that you can digitize and automate um, certain manual processes today, even on the design for manufacturability checks, even on the pricing. Yeah, I believe there is room for digitization, digitalization automation. But we also clearly say a value proposition from us to our customers is that we want to make sure that you still have contact, if need be, to an engineering person, to an engineering team. And this is why we have this application engineering team that we are also building up um, so that our customers still have access to um, engineering knowledge and that we make sure whatever orders are being uploaded to the platform are really manufacturable. And this is, I guess, this dual focus of software tool-based efficiency combined with still a strong application engineering team. This, I guess, is one of the value propositions we try to bring to our customers. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there that you've um, upgraded the platform now with um, 
offering different volume pricing, that sort of thing. So are you seeing a, a lot of interest in these um, volume orders? Because when, when I first saw the platform, I, I figured um, a lot of the, um, the value would be in printing one-off parts, things like spare parts, as you said, tooling, stuff like that. But um, you mentioned also volumes as well. So is that something you're seeing a lot of interest for? I think there's eventually two types of volumes. Um, so clearly what you described, there is still... Um, is specifically in the on-demand segment, there is still a, a huge chunk of one-offs, prototypes, um, toolings and different variations that you want to basically make. So there's, this is still a, a fairly relevant um, segment of what we see. When I say volume, there is, um, of course, a ready-for serial production part, which would be then in quantities 100,000, 10,000. This is one spec, this is the extreme spectrum. But what we also see, there is sometimes just a small batch of on demand orders in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, specifically in the polymer side of things. And for this, volume pricing is something that we see interested in, that people want to know what if I ordered um, one versus 10 versus 20 right now, what would be my price? And people sometimes, they use the volume-based pricing also as an indicator whether or not this specific design they have at hand would actually make sense to be printed in production later. So they still want to order only one, but they would like to see the price evolution from what if I order one versus what if I order 20, 50, what would be the effect on price? And I guess this is sometimes what we see also that this is what users want to use us for. Um, that they see, is there a cost digression over volume that would make it interesting for us to drive a specific part further down our development pipeline? At some point, it is difficult for us to do this through automated algorithms. So at some point when we hit certain value thresholds or certain volume thresholds, at some point we also prefer to basically convert the automated quoting to a engineering quotation because we just want to make sure that we really understand the volume effects because sometimes you can't let a machine do it um, all the time. So we have a certain range where we trust our algorithms and then there is a certain threshold. If an order goes actually even beyond that volume threshold, we then uh, still make an engineering quote because we want to make sure we really get the volume effects and the requirements right. Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Paul Miller, 3D Systems Materials Product Marketing Manager, introduces Duraform PAX, a new novel SLS nylon photopolymer that promises great mechanical properties for prototypes and end-use parts, long-term stability, an unexpected low cost of ownership. Duraform PAX is a new family of products that uh, we developed in partnership with uh, Ams Grilltech. And what we're really excited about is it's innovation in a space where there hasn't been a ton of types of materials. Duraform PAX is durable, it's tough, um, it has really high elongation and is really flexible. So it opens up a lot of application possibilities. It prints at a very low temperature, which is actually one of its strengths because it's easier on printers and has a really high recycling rate. What we're also really excited about is some of the operational benefits. 
It is faster to handle. Uh, you can remove it, the part cake, the machine faster after printing and the breakout of parts. And, and that's where some of the financial benefits help our customers as well. When people hear new and novel, they, they typically jump to, it's gotta be expensive. Um, but, but our pricing strategy with Duraform PAX was intended to encourage adoption as a go-to material, particularly for those customers that are looking for prints with unspecified properties. So you, you still get all those great mechanical properties that we, we talked about, but at generally a lower cost. And then it's the operational benefits. It's the ease of printing. It's the operator intervention, the less service. You don't have any sublimation, which is one of the big challenges people experience with PA11s. Our customers have come to us and said they're really excited to be able to offer an SLS material uh, to their customers that, that they can ship within 24 hours, which is, is truly remarkable. This material is intended for end-use parts. You've got long-term stability and in some cases properties that make it indistinguishable from injection molded parts. Can you talk about that? Today we have two different variants and it's a family that we expect that will, will grow in the future. We have a, a natural color and a black color. We've tested the color and the mechanical properties out over five years for indoor and outdoor over a, a year and a half. And the tensile strength, the elongation and color all hold up from the look and the aesthetics of the material, particularly when you vapor hone it, you're able to get some translucency that opens up new applications. So anything where you're trying to look at liquids and anything within walls, you'll get that really nice translucency. It's, it's been described from our customers as looking like a, a rigid polypropylene. For the black material, uh, instead of the translucency, you get an additional sheen. So some of these sample applications that we've made is we've introduced texture onto the parts and then vapor honed it. By doing that, it really looks like an injection molded plastic. One of the examples I like to talk about is some of our engineers that work on all these different materials in, in our office and showing these uh, vapor honed SLS parts, people are shocked to believe that they're, they come from SLS. To learn more, head over to mytct.co forward slash 3dspod or visit 3dsystems.com. Do you have any customer examples that you can share? I'm sure that at this stage, you probably can't name actual customers, but do you have any particularly interesting examples that you think you could share with us? I can share no names, obviously, um, but I can share eventually applications that, that I think are quite interesting. So I guess one thing that um, is a typical um, category we are currently seeing is actually development uh, projects. Um, heat exchangers being one example where, um, where companies are currently developing and designing different designs for heat exchangers where they are trying to also see how much they can push the engineering limits in terms of um, uh, wall thicknesses, in terms of cooling hole sizes in the internal structures of heat exchangers. And what they want, they want um, for different designs, quickly a quotation. They want to know how fast it is until you can really have hardware so that they can test this. So that's a typical use case. We are seeing development projects, different design variations, um, what is the price of different design variations? What is the lead time? And that you can get actually physical hardware back to customers for real testing quickly. That's one application on the, on the, on the example of heat exchanges, for instance. Um, another customer category that I see now emerging is potential spare parts on demand. <clears throat> so it's parts that are not necessarily 
a design for additive part from the get-go. This is a legacy part. And in most of the cases, actually even a unsteady demand, potentially even lower volume part. But it nevertheless uh, is important for end products to function. And today, um, customers hold physical inventories for those parts. And you then run always the risk of obsolescence because certain material masses are outdated. Um, you run the risk of supply shortage because your lead times for these parts are super long. And we currently see traction from customers that are prospectively interested in converting these legacy spare parts to 3D printed spare parts. And we are now seeing first development projects also coming to us where it's about, can you actually print this? Can you meet a certain cost point? What is the lead time? And step-by-step step driving this into actually spare parts. So this is another category of parts where we see real demand. A third category is um, production aids, um, grippers for robots um, and uh, uh, certain toolings or chicks and fixtures where we, for instance, have um, through additive, the possibility of designing more individualized, basically mass customized grippers, tools, chicks and fixtures. And we see customers also interested in really understanding quickly the instant price for different design options, and then also access to different technologies and different materials because when you talk indirect materials like grippers, toolings, chicks, fixtures, um, materials sometimes have a broader flexibility range. And so they want access to what are the different trade-offs between cost points and, and properties of the part. So this is three typical examples um, where we currently see customer demand. And that falls quite nice into an, another topic I wanted to ask you about. We've, we've heard a lot over the last couple of years about how additive manufacturing can help bring a sense of agility and flexibility to supply chains. And I wondered how Makerverse, you know, given you have this ability to manufacture parts on demand or at various volumes, how does Makerverse fit into this conversation about additive and supply chain? I believe there is eventually two levels to this answer. One is additive overall, independent of Makerverse, as an answer into um, resilient supply chains, and then very specifically digital platforms like Makerverse. Um, I believe additive overall, in terms of uh, fit into industrial supply chains, is still the question of when you're talking supply chain. Or let me let me start one one step ahead before I go to the supply chain topic. So there's basically there is two very fundamental. Um, different use cases. One is you design a part really new, taking into account the design possibilities that additive offers. And then you can think about all these topics like performance improvement, weight reduction, and in the case of energy, what I've been doing for the past seven years, um, emissions reduction, efficiency increase of gas turbines, etc. So this is you, you go, you, you start a new project, you design a new component for a new product. Then you can, from the very beginning, design for additive. And then you also need to think about industrialization of this part in terms of qualification of the entire process, machines, powders, 
um, printing processes, post-processing. That's one category. The second category on a very high meta level for me is that you have an existing part, you have an existing supply chain, and you want to mitigate your supply chain risks by, for instance, reducing lead time through additive by, for instance, nearshoring production again through um, additive manufacturing. And then usually your design is an existing design that has been sourced from wherever and you want to rather not improve the design of the part, but you want to mitigate the supply chain situation of this part. So you have a different, then you have a different starting point. And the big challenge that I see still for additive here is a cost point, yeah, because the original design wasn't designed for additive. So you usually need to face higher product cost and you need to trade these higher product costs with the effects you gain on lead times or the effects you gain on not having a part at all because of supply chain disruptions. And still yet in the second case of supply chain resilience, you still again need to make sure that when you convert a conventional part to an additive part, you still need to meet certain properties in terms of material and you still need to meet certain um, requirements in terms of repetitive quality and processability. So basically those two fundamental cases. And I think additive is super well established today already. When you talk on pushing the design limits of new designs, this is what many companies do. And additive in my view still is named quite a bit, but still needs to make its way into actual reality when it comes to supply chain resilience, because this is still a question of cost to some extent. Now, the second level to this answer, Maker versus a digital platform. What a digital platform like Makerverse can offer is for the first category, the design iterations, it can offer you super fast access to different technologies and materials, and it can really help you to, to accelerate development speeds. That's the classical use case. When it comes to the second use case of on-demand, supply chain needs, then platforms have, in my view, one advantage. They have, and in our case, let me talk specifically about Makerverse. Um, we have basically for every technology material we offer on our platform, we have multiple suppliers behind each technology material combination. So when you have an on-demand situation that you need certain parts that run in your supply chains, quickly on demand in unsteady quantities, Makerverse, a digital platform, has the advantage of always having at any point in time multiple suppliers qualified for this material technology combination. So we can react super quickly. Ideally, we have always capacity for every demand situation. And this is a big advantage of a digital platform because when you look at supply chain disruptions, they sometimes happen strategically, but they sometimes also happen very ad hoc. Um, and in those ad hoc situations, a platform can really help customers with always on capacity. And what the platforms and what we as makers need to accomplish is that we need to still be able to guarantee repetitive quality and consistent process stability, which is then back to the size quality partnership that we have, which we are working on. 
I think that's a, a really good dose of reality given the um the talk around additive and supply chain over the last few years. It, it's good to hear about where it, it truly does uh, fit into the picture. And as you say, with, with digital platforms and, and on-demand manufacturing, that, that kind of is that, that sweet spot. Um, Marcus, before I let you go and ask if you've got any final thoughts, I did want to ask you, um, I'm just very interested to know whether you know, you've spent much of your career at Siemens, which is arguably one of the biggest industrial users of additive manufacturing. Are there any important lessons that you're able to, to learn that about the adoption of additive manufacturing into these industrial settings that you're carrying over to make it this? Um, I hope I did. Uh, I hope I actually did learn a little, uh, a little <laughs> bit as well as Siemens Energy over the over these seven years. Um, and I actually spent quite a bit of time in the past years also to start reflecting with the team on what were actually certain hurdles and what were also success factors for Siemens Energy. Because I still believe that somehow at Siemens Energy, our global teams have really done a fantastic job of being super effective and and focused on driving additive into zero production. And I think a few success factors is um, in terms of learning. So everybody in this industry focuses on the technology. And technology means new machines, new materials, process stability, material qualification, etc. So that is, I guess, almost a bit what everybody does and is super, super important. It's the basis. Without that, you have no reason to sit at this poker table. I think a already very commonly accepted second success factor is you need to stop trying to quote the same designs that you optimized for turning, milling, whatever, injection molding, and hope that additive can make those parts cheaper. I guess that was a bit what many companies and people have tried in the beginning of trying to push into production. It just doesn't work because it's a different technology. And um, you usually, when you when you try to copy the same design and make it by additive, additive is at a cost disadvantage. So I think the second success factor is it's all about design for additive. It's about either in the new developments, pushing the limits. And this was at Siemens Energy for instance, that you can build internal cooling channels into parts that you could never cast, that you could build combustion system components that allowed you to better mix air and fuel <coughs> in a way that you reduce emissions when you burn your fuel. And this is basically design for additive enabled performance improvements. But there's also design for additive enabled operational impacts like part consolidation. You had 12 different assemblies before you procured them from example given four different vendors you needed to assemble weld brace whatever those parts together there happened error it was cost in manufacturing and if you could print this one part this in one piece that is a huge advantage you don't necessarily change the function of the part but instead of 12 individual pieces you have one part number that you need to manage in your supply chain so design for additive um, is the second big success factor that I believe at Siemens Energy really was a before and after, um, seeing many, many parts for production. And I think this is already commonly accepted. I guess people just need to be, eventually companies need to be a little bit bolder in also sometimes daring to push the limits, test properly and then execute. And it's also, of course, training and education that people um, are being trained to additive. That's the second. 
I believe there's a third category which I, with the team, put really a lot of focus on, and that's this whole topic of culture and how you collaborate and also what your business model is around additive. Because in a corporation like Siemens Energy, like any automotive OEM, like any aerospace OEM, um, additive is a new thing. And big companies have a lot of responsibility for the end product. And it's very, very hard actually to introduce a new method of manufacturing design because you have no long-term proven experience. So it's actually really difficult for an engineering-driven business to just say, I'll, I'll put an additive component on my car, on my plane, on my gas turbine, because you just don't know how this material, how this uh, part will behave over time. So you need a certain risk culture. And this doesn't mean that you go just completely crazy and put parts you don't understand on engines but you need openness on the level of the famous middle management in terms of product owners, component owners, part owners, that they actually support, for instance, parallel pass designs, that you go conventional additive at the same time. And then you have certain decision points until when you can still say additive isn't ready, I go conventional, but you at least try and you learn. So you need this risk culture on the mid-level that that you that you incentivize additive and that you basically look at it and you push it against real component applications. And in my view, also at Siemens Energy, we also had a fantastic executive management team on the business unit level, on the division level, and even on the board level in Siemens Energy with a lot of support for additive. There was also quite tough meetings because if you want um, board members and division CEOs support and 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 also investment and and R and D budget, they will start to want to understand what you do with with uh, that investment. So there's also sometimes um, I guess uh, then tough meetings. But we had at Siemens Energy a lot of um, executive support, and getting executive support in a company is also very very important because it gives focus on a certain technology. It gives midterm planning stability on a certain technology and it just increases the overall organizational awareness of it so i guess this whole topic of culture and organizational focus on additive is a third important success factor that we were quite successful at siemens energy and i believe this is something in my personal view that sometimes could be emphasized a little bit more and and in some organizations i observed they focus still a little bit too much in my personal view on the technology and now even the design topics but they do neglect a little bit this whole topic of culture and organizational change that is important to drive a new technology faster um, uh, into implementation so this would be my three eventually key learnings that um, i learned at siemens energy and i guess i learned is a big word um, that the entire team basically did fantastic job on and which made Siemens Energy a rather successful in terms of speed to zero production. <laughs>